Do you think that building wealth isn't a real possibility even if you're starting small? Do you believe that your future cannot be much different from your current situation? Stay tuned as in this episode you will see the possibilities to even building wealth on a dime. And I'll also share where this phrase came from. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Her Dinero Matters, the podcast helping Latinas have increased confidence and control over their finances. My name is Jen Hemphill, and as an accredited financial counselor, my mission is to help you be more confident and simplify your finances so you can save more, get out of debt quicker, and build your wealth. Many of us didn't learn about money growing up, and listening to this podcast only shows that it didn't stop you. While learning about finances can be overwhelming due to unfamiliar terminology, there are simple ways to learn and build wealth. This is your host, Jen Hemphill, and I'm so thrilled that you're here with me today. Our special guest, Kimberly Hamilton, will tell us more about this topic today. She'll reveal to us how she's accomplished building wealth on a dime and how you can too. Maybe you believe that you have to work harder for it, and the reality is as you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And even though we know it doesn't have to be that way, sometimes we just get stuck in a rut that it is. And of course, you have to put in some work, but not necessarily the way we're used to. Be sure to stick around until the end to find out about the book she wrote, which will help you build wealth and move towards financial freedom through simple education. Kimberly Hamilton is a financial educator, a fellow Latina on a mission to help women tackle debt, automate their finances, and invest through online courses. She recently published her book, which teaches readers how to create wealth even when starting small. Don't forget that we have a supportive community waiting to support you and where you can share your thoughts and questions from today. More on that later, but for now, let's get this conversation started with Kimberly. Bienvenida, Kimberly. I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. I know we've connected on social media. I don't know, maybe it's been one or, or two years, and I've seen you grow. I've seen the information and everything that you've been sharing, your journey and all that, and I've really loved it. So I'm excited to have you and, and really get to know you. Yeah, thank you, Jen. I'm excited to be here as well. As this podcast, as you know, we always go back in time. So Kimberly, take us back in time uh, to your upbringing and maybe some experiences, some lessons, some memories that you have around money. Sure. Uh, I think, you know, I, I had a very fortunate upbringing. So I'll, I'll start there. I definitely grew up, um, you know, more middle class. Um, I'm from New York. All my family's there. I'm sort of the, the first to branch out to the, to the D.C. area. Um, but growing up, I think I was just talking to someone about this the other day. It's so interesting that even though my immediate family, you know, never struggled with money, I still think it's something that kids and, and young adults can really pick up on. I grew up in a household where uh, my father was very entrepreneurial. He had he had a small business. And I think even then, sort of the lessons that I picked up are so different from what I teach in my clients and, and my book that's that's coming out in terms of how time can impact your money. You know, the things I heard growing up and going to school and college and things like that was 
you have to be the hardest working person in the room. You want to be the first one in, you want to be the last one out. It was very much trading time for for money in that way. And I think what I've learned over the years and what I hope comes through in, in, in my book and workshops that I do is that paradigm has sort of changed a bit and you could still have time work for you when it comes to generating interest and saving and, and investing. Um, but it's very different than having to put in, you know, it's not a one-to-one trade anymore necessarily um, in terms of putting in time for, for money received back. So, you know, the lessons I heard growing up was always, you, you know, sort of work as hard as you can, as, as long as you can, and that will be your return. Um, I think that's changed as I've, as I've grown and learned more about money in terms of how time can work when it comes to saving and investing in a very different way. That makes sense. And I agree. That paradigm is definitely shifting. And I'm curious to know, because you mentioned your father is or was an entrepreneur. And I'm curious to know that trade of time for money. Is that something that he also felt and, and talked about in terms of I'm sure he, you know, some of the some of the things he mentioned just came back to being the best. Like you said, being the first in the door and, and out mm-hmm. being the last, <laughs> the last one out. So I'm curious to know in terms of that paradigm shift, do you feel like he influenced that uh, in, in terms of influenced your thinking or was it something else? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely rubbed off on me. Uh, your first question is that something, you know, my dad adheres to yes to this day. Um, you know, he doesn't have that per- that small business anymore, but he's still an extremely hard worker. And, and I'm glad that's something that's rubbed off on me, right? But it's not I don't think it's not the only way that we have access to to building wealth anymore. And so I think that's that's where the shift come in. You know, obviously, I think that you're an entrepreneur as well. That doesn't come overnight. That doesn't come without hard work. So those things are still incredibly valuable. But it's almost as if the odds are more in our favor now for what we can do with our money and how we can make it grow in return. You know, I think when I was a little kid, I joke, uh, I made these, I painted these placemats. I think I was in like the third grade and, you know, my dad brought me to like the local pizzeria to try and sell them. Like there are lessons like that, that I think have paid off in ways that, you know, I joke about it, but I, I think I learned something from that meeting, you know, as well. And, and it's, it's probably helped me at least have the gumption, if nothing else, to, to start my own company and, and write this book today. Right. And I love that you bring it, bring that up in terms of that paradigm and trading time for money and how how that is, has shifted because most of the listeners uh, that are listening tend to be nine to five. So in a nine to five, you do trade the time for money. But as you mentioned, there's other ways where you can uh, take advantage or make time work for you, as like you mentioned, investing and everything and in entrepreneurship, too. I'm sure, as, as you know, Kimberly, depending on what you do, you can trade time for money depending on your business model, right? Um, So I love that you brought that up because I think we need to take that into consideration uh, and just keep that in mind because time passes by quickly (laughs) and we want to make sure that we make that time count. So thank you for sharing that. Now, you were in graduate school and I do want to know what you studied in graduate school, but you came out of graduate school with some student loan debt, and you mentioned some anxiety. So you've shared that with me prior uh, to us logging on. So I'm curious to know, one, 
what you studied in graduate school, because I do want to know. <laughs> uh, number two, tell us about the how you pay the debt off. And then I do want to talk about the anxiety, because anxiety is real. And it's okay to have that anxiety. I think at least in my generation growing up, that was something that we didn't talk about. You just had to tough it out, right? I think that is changing, but I do want to talk about that. So let's talk about first graduate school, what you studied, and your how you navigated your student loan debt and paying it off. And then we'll talk about the anxiety part. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm in the personal finance world now, and you mentioned a nine to five. I actually have a separate nine to five from my company as well with a personal finance app called Rocket Money. So I can relate to a lot of your your listeners there in that aspect. But um, originally, when I, I went to school, it was for international development. Um, I got my undergrad in international relations and psychology, um, and then I I uh, got my master's in international affairs from the new school, which is an amazing school, but it was also a pricey school. Um, it was a private university in New York. And I think the expectation, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to, to graduate from undergrad without any student uh, debt, which, which was amazing through a mix of um, family support and scholarships. But for graduate school, that was not the case. So that's, that's where um, my almost $45,000 worth of student loans came from. And I don't think I was mentally prepared for what it would be like to pay that down with a job that didn't pay as high as I assumed it would. Uh, so the job that I landed uh, coming out of grad school was a starting salary of $40,000. And I think just that comparison of having more debt than I made in a, in a year made it seem so enormous. And $45,000 in the grand scheme of things, you know, Credit card debt, student debt is a huge problem in America in general. A lot of people are dealing with much higher amounts of debt than that. People have mortgages. There are There's a much different, um, I think, emotional uh, role at play when it comes to debt like a mortgage versus debt like student loans or versus debt like credit cards. And for me, it just sort of the, the enormity, the fact that I could work for an entire year and put 100% of you know my paycheck in this hypothetical world, world towards my debt and still wouldn't pay that down um, was really just like a punch and punch in the gut. And uh, even though you know my, my father had gone to to college, I was the first on my mom's side to to go to school. And and when my dad went, he had help from the military. So I just wasn't really I didn't understand what I signed up for with the student loans. I wasn't familiar with the process. You know, it was just sort of, like you said earlier, tough it out. I just thought I would figure it out. And, but I didn't think um, it would have that emotional toll as hard as it did. I can imagine. And so how did you navigate that anxiety or does it just through time, you just, as you paid your debt off, it just kind of minimized. And so talk to us about that. Yeah. So I think, um, I, I did a few things. I think probably learning about money was was really like the, the very first baby step that I took because I wasn't familiar with how um, loans worked, with how compound interest worked. Um, and you have, I had federal student loans. So when I first graduated from, from grad school, I had a bit of a grace pe- period, thank goodness, because I was able to put a very small amount of savings um, during that time away. But once that grace period ended, I think uh, the first thing I did was just started gathering all the free resources I could to learn about money, podcasts, blogs, 
um, a ton of time on Google, which could be very overwhelming, but but not as overwhelming as my loans were to me. So I was willing to sort of power through that. And, and that's when I started learning that, you know, separate from the amount of student loans that I had, the idea of paying someone back for 10 years was really tough for me to grapple with. And I really wanted to shorten that. Um, and I didn't have a lot of extra income to play around with. I was living, I still live in one of the most expensive cities in, in the country. You know, I had a house that I shared with three roommates. I was taking public transportation. I was, you know, meal planning and all these things and just didn't have a lot um, to spare to go towards my debt. So I think once I got a handle on how that debt payoff process would work, my next step was sort of figuring out one, how can I generate more income to be able to pay down that debt more quickly? And two, to your point about financial anxiety, what can I do to get ahead of that? Because I'm sort of, you know, at a certain point, there's only so many hours I can work in a day, at least that's what I thought back then. And so how, what can I do to sort of help myself with that financial anxiety? And, and when it came to that, developing a weekly spending cap and organizing in my finances in a way that I speak about it in my book, which I know we're gonna to get to in a bit. I call it the money move system and being able to automate my finances and sort of have this consistent number that I could speak to made me feel like I had a plan. And that I think is really what helped me get over that financial anxiety. It didn't make my, des my debt disappear. I knew it was still gonna be you know, quite a long road, but at least it gave me some control over the situation as opposed to feeling like I had signed up for something I didn't understand. Yeah. And I'm sure besides that feeling of control, which felt good, it, it, you were able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, which is so, it's so important when you know you're going to get there with the steps that you've outlined or the things that you've set out to do then you feel good. You don't, you know, I'm sure that anxiety definitely went down. Now, I'm curious to know, as you did this, if you could share maybe uh, some habits that you created that really helped you, maybe like one or two key habits that you would like to share that you think are the most critical. Sure. I think I like that you call them habits, because I think there's something to be said for doing something that becomes more of a routine, as opposed to something like more of, of something you can do automatically as opposed to something that you have to force yourself to do within the, in a certain time period. And I think when we think about habits like brushing our teeth or tying our shoes, you know, we don't think about those things so often. So I like that framing. And, and in fact, in my book, Building Wealth on a Dime, I talk about these $6 million habits, I call them. And they are things that I feel separate from any amount of debt I had to pay off or any amount of income I've ever made. These six things are traits or, or habits that I think have enabled me to build wealth over time and pay down my debt in, in my early 20s as well. So to get to your question, I think that the first one that comes to mind is really automating um, as, as much of your finances as you can. I think there's sort of a spectrum of how how far people want to go with that. Me, I'm all in. I you know use online bank accounts and have everything linked and I mentioned I work for Rocket Money earlier, so I use them as a personal finance app. So I have a view of my finances. I take advantage of automated transfers and things like that to have my money moving from one place to another to again work with this weekly spending cap that I still use today because being consistent in that way really helps me contribute uh, to some of my other financial goals. 
Have you been working on paying off credit cards but now are feeling frustrated with the higher interest rates? My new class will teach you the one thing you need to do before making another payment, as well as six key strategies that will help you pay that credit card with ease. Sounds good, right? Learn more at jenhempill.com forward slash credit card debt. And in appreciation of you being a listener, use the code HERDINEROMATTERS at checkout for $10 off. Again, that is jenhempill.com forward slash credit card debt. And the code again is her dinero matters. The code note is only available for a limited time. See you in class. The second piece of that is the automating is being consistent and they sort of go hand in hand. Um, I think even though my financial situation now is very different than it was when I was in my early 20s, I've mostly been able to keep, you know, I'm still using the same system. So I still have, I call it the money move system. It's a way of organizing your finances. So you have your fixed expenses, any financial goals. So that would be debt pay down goals, saving or investing goals, your variable expenses, and then you're left with a weekly spending cap. And being able to automate that has really helped me know exactly what's going to my money goals over here before I have this money to play around with. And doing that has made it so easy to know exactly what I'm going to contribute towards my savings, towards my investments over the course of a year and and really project out. Again, that, that gives you... Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you that control element that I think is really helpful to a lot of people. So automating your finances and, and, and being consistent in contributing towards your goals would be my top two habits there. That is amazing. And I agree with those. Now with automating, it's easy to do. But I think one of the reasons people don't do it is because of their fear that maybe the money won't be there, right? And with that, you just need to have clarity, clarity with the finances consistency with you know what you set out to do whether you've decided hey we're going to minimize eating we're only going to stick to what you mentioned like a fixed um, amount that you're going to spend on eating out or whatever that is if you do those things that automation and that consistency is is going to be easier but I feel like the consistency in what you set out to do will help with the, with the automation. So I love those that you brought that up. Now you are a published Latina author. So first, I want to congratulate you. You wrote that book that you mentioned, Building Wealth on a Dime. And I'm excited that one, there's another Latina author in the, in the world of personal finance. <laughs> we need more. So welcome. There can never Tell be enough. A little bit. There can never be enough. No, no. <laughs> There's you're one of the few. I mean, I'm sure I can count them on one hand um, at this moment in time <laughs> that we're talking. So tell us how that book came about and have you always wanted to write a book? Yeah, it is interesting. I have for a long time wanted to write a book um, when I started. So so separate from my book uh, in 2019, I, I founded my company Be Worth Finance, where I help um, women and millennials learn to gain confidence in their finances through workshops and and online courses. Mostly I offer some private coaching there as well. And when I first started the company, I was originally, I wasn't ready to sort of share my story um, of paying down my debt and and buying my first home and 
and salary negotiation and learning to invest and all these things that, that come with learning more about money. I don't know if it's, I didn't have the, the confidence to get the story out there. Um, I was also working still full-time in international development. And I think part of me was concerned about um, what my employer would think of me starting, you know, this, this side hustle uh, company on the side. And so I did want to, to write a book, but um, there were so many reasons, you know, how am I going to market the book? How, how am I going to publish the book? Am I going to take time off work and, and so forth that um, prevented me from doing that. And so I went with online courses instead. This was back in, back in 2019, because I thought I could make the online course and then I could sell it when I'm sleeping. I could sell it while, you know, someone could buy it while I'm at work. And so that was a different way to still be able to help people with their money, but not having to be sort of as present all the time and as willing to, to share my story. But fast forward, you know, since then, my company grew, I've switched to, to personal finance full time. And, and I was essentially given the opportunity to write the book. The um, A lot of people in the publishing world will have a manuscript that they, you know, have to shop around for years. I was very lucky that, that the publishing company Wiley actually came to me wanting to know more about my story. And, you know, I, I actually wasn't even sure it was legitimate when they sent it because it was so out of the blue, but sometimes the world has a funny way of working out. So when they said, you know, do you want to write it? I said, sure. I did it uh, on a pretty, pretty quick timeline. So in hindsight, I think there's definitely some lessons learned there, but it's certainly a project of passion. And I'm really really excited to get the information out to people, whether that be through bookstores or, you know, the fact that, you know, my book could be in a library as a free resource for members of, of, of the community and the Latino community as well, um, amongst others, is, is something I'm really excited about. Well, congratulations again, because even to be approached by a traditional publisher, that's huge. That is absolutely huge. So I... <laughs> applaud you for sure thank you Count, counting my lucky stars as well <laughs> that is amazing that is amazing now you wrote the book how it's framed is through the lens of five what you called everyday money makers and i really love that because you tend you tend to see personal finance books that have this okay chapter one and i'm generalizing here of course they each have their own little unique approach but chapter one budgeting chapter two i don't know i'm making things up as i go so i'm curious to know why did you take this approach sure i think to me you know that again the publisher came to me they really liked my story but as much as they liked my story they sort of said off the bat we don't want this book just to be about you <laughs> you know it, we want it to relate to a wide range of people to you know be able to really help them and I don't even remember what the original outline I wrote was, but at, at some point in thinking through the process, I just thought, well, it's not that it would be easy, but like you said, so many books are focused on a chapter on budgeting, a chapter on debt payoff, a, a chapter on compound interest. Unfortunately, um, a lot of what you learn when, when you start learning about money is that there's a ton of terminology. There's a ton of jargon. And I think that's what makes it so boring to so many people because, you know, it's like learning, learning another language sometimes. And I knew I wanted to be the book to be relatable to people. Um, that's something I really strive for in my courses and workshops as well. And so I, I just came up with the idea, well, money touches so much, so many aspects of our lives and no one's walking around talking about compound interest in these things. You know, we're talking about 
how we can go on vacation with our families. And we're talking about, you know, being able to, to buy this, this home so that we have more space to enjoy with our loved ones. And we're talking about the emotions that go into um, a conversation about money that you might be having with a, with a partner. And those are all, you, you know, supporting family. These are all real life situations that people go through and they're never talking about all those, you know, fancy words that make people's eyes glaze over. So I just sort of thought immediately that I wanted to make it about people. And there's a there's a mix for the money makers in the book are fictional characters, but you still have their entire budgets and sort of an intro. What's their job? What's their quirk? What's their pet's name? You know, are they do they have a partner? Are they supporting family? Um, some of those real life situations. And then my story is actually one of one of the chapters as well. Um, when, when it comes to debt pay down. So you'll see all the nitty gritty details about my life in, in my early 20s and now. Um, but I just thought that would be a way to make it something that people really do want to read, even if they might not be so interested or might be a little bit intimidated by money off the bat. And out of those five moneymakers, I know you mentioned four fictional, one is you. Did any of them become your favorite along the process of writing the book? I do have a favorite. Um, my favorite <laughs> by far, there's a few money makers in the book, but my favorite um, is Tanya from, uh, she lives in Chicago. The story of Tanya, uh, so there's a few chapters devoted to investing and Tanya as a character is a first generation American, first generation college student, um, Latina background, and for one reason or another had, had other priorities in her life that deterred her from investing at a younger at a younger age. So where she comes into the book is she's um, also finished graduate school. She's 28, I believe, and she's learning to invest for the first time. Even though you know she she had there are options that she wasn't aware of. She had other priorities to take care of, and she listened to a podcast and she's learning about the financial independence uh, retire early community. This idea that you invest a certain amount early on that the growth that you experience from that account will be enough for you to retire earlier on in life and she's wondering if that's a possibility for her even though she's just starting now and so i think she's my favorite character because one of the other habits i talk about in the book the million dollar habits is is starting from day one so sort of forgiving yourself from past money mistakes and not being bogged down that you didn't know something sooner or you ran up a credit card or you know whatever it was because because you didn't have that education before, um, and I think that's why I love Tanya's characters so much is because instead of you know being so focused on the fact that she should have started earlier, maybe done things a little differently, she's really eager about hitting the ground running, and so um, you follow her through a few chapters in the book, figuring out is early retirement you know what are the different accounts she should be looking at, is early retirement a possibility? How do you even determine like how much you need to save? And I, I have resources in my book to tell people figure out the, those things as well. But just really her eagerness to learn and probably the fact that she's Latina and also biased helps as well. But she'd be my favorite. Of course. <laughs> of course. And would you say the book is for millennials or is it who would you say the book is for? Yeah, I, I think I think millennials will certainly enjoy it, but it's not restricted to a particular age. You know, I think. I love the idea of even younger generations reading it. I already know a lot of my cousins are getting a copy for Christmas because I just want them to have this information, you know, as early as possible from me and, and they're in their young 20s. But I think there's still a lot you can do. You know, there's a chapter focused on creating generational wealth. 
And so if someone's in their 40s or 50s, and that might be a possibility for them as well. And I think I really do hope it relates to to a, a larger audience and just my personal generation. And what has the feedback been so far from the publisher? And what has your audience been saying as you share your book writing experience? Yeah, so I think people are really excited about the book, which, which obviously I love to see anyone in, in your audience in, in terms of social media and talking about the book, they could follow me on Be Worth Finance. That's Be Worth, like Be Worth the Investment um, on Instagram. And so I've been sharing snippets of, you know, these are the situations from each of the characters and sharing some of their budgets on, on Instagram to sort of tease what their storylines are. My publisher calls it your, your personal roadmap to financial freedom, which I love, but it's really also just about, you know, financial freedom means a lot of things to different people. And then the personal finance community, often that could mean early retirement. But for me, financial freedom is really just gaining that confidence and um, being able to take control of your money in a way that it's not such an anxiety producing process. You know, that's, that's freedom to me. And that can happen a heck of a lot earlier than when you plan to retire. So I hope that's what people find with the book. And it'll be out by the time I think this episode airs. So it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. So I really hope people get a kick out of it when they read it. Love it. Well, this has been fantastic, Kimberly. I do have one more question because I know as an author myself, as I wrote the book, there was a lot of reflection and there were some aha moments for me. So what aha moments did you have uh, as you wrote this book? Yeah, I think there were probably two for me. One is, you know... The fact that obviously I'm in, in a much different, I guess not obviously, but I am in a, in a much more fortunate financial position now than I was when I was in my early 20s paying off my debt. And I think in writing the book, I really had to put myself back in, in my former shoes to to write some of these storylines and, and identify with some of the challenges characters in the book were experiencing that so many other Americans experience like a credit card debt or medical debt or having to support a family member that I haven't necessarily experienced myself yet in some of those situations. And so it was just a, I don't know if it was an aha moment as much of it was a reminder that, you know, sometimes you really have to go through through the trenches before you can get to the fun stuff. And when I talk with clients, when I think about money myself now it's this really exciting thing but not everyone is in that place all the time and so I think it was just a reminder to myself that there's such a broad spectrum of financial situations but like you said finding that light at the end of the tunnel um, is really important important in that journey so just having you know empathy for others that might be experiencing different financial situations than yourself and then the other part is you know as much as I, I tried and I, and I hope I succeeded in making this a book about people. I couldn't escape some of the terminology, some of the terms that I had to go over, especially when it comes to the uh, debt pay down and investing side of things. And so the aha moment for there is really, you know, I didn't realize over the years just how much language, just how much terminology I had has become second nature that can be brand new to a lot of people. Um, and so I try to make that as fun as possible. You know, I explain concepts like asset allocation and diversification in, in relation to like ordering at your favorite, you know, new Mexican restaurant on the block. So I try to make it more relatable, but a lot of it is terminology. And I'd encourage your audience, you know, not to be deterred by that. It is something you can learn and, and master. And, and it's not the maybe the most funnest piece of language to learn, but 
it could really help you in your financial journey and that can make money more fun so you know hang on to that as you're reading through through some of those sections well thank you kimberly this has been fantastic i appreciate you being here with us and uh, sharing all you did today and congrats again that's huge thank you so much thank you for having me I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have with Kimberly. You learned the difference between working hard and working smart to create wealth because it's really, it's time to start shifting our mindset. And I know in this podcast, we talk a lot about that. And the, we also need to implement new strategies to achieve our goals. You heard Kimberly share how she doesn't want you to get blocked or feel overwhelmed by financial terminology. The idea is to, is to give yourself the opportunity to start learning the basics and then continuing on. It's like building blocks, baby steps, as this will help you manage your finances in an organized and effective way. One thing we also learned today is that it's never too late. And I hope that in listening to this podcast, if you've been a long-time listener, that you know this. And if, if this is your first time listening, we talk about this all the time. It's never too late. Don't limit yourself by what you haven't learned and by the experiences that you have had. You now have many tools available, courses, podcasts, YouTube channels, books, blogs, and you just have to use them to your advantage. Go ahead and connect with Kimberly. Support her and her work by getting her book. And you can find that at beworthfinance.com forward slash book, or you can simply just go to today's show notes and you will have a link for that as well. Now, if you still have some blocks or you simply want to share your thoughts of today's episodes, just send me a DM or come to our private community over at jenhempill.com forward slash community, which is on Facebook and also linked up in the show notes, and we will help you out. The last several weeks you have heard me featured, you have heard me highlight some members of our community and haven't shared reviews uh, in a while. So I'm going just going back to some previous reviews and sharing some of those. And this comes to us from Andrea and she says, love it. I love Jen's podcast. The stories her and her speakers share resonate with me and always leave me motivated for more. There's also a ton of tips and inf important information we should know. As Latinas in the U.S., it's massively necessary that we stay in the loop of things and understand how to be better at managing our money, and Jen does an amazing job at helping us get there. Thank you, Andrea. I wanted to share this review, one, uh, because we have such amazing listeners that support us and I really, really appreciate that. And so I wanted to acknowledge that one. Number two is that we would love your review on Apple Podcasts. The reason why is it helps us to grow. It helps us to be seen. And uh, also it's just, especially if you want to give back to this podcast, if this, if Herdian Edo Matters has given you something, we would really, really appreciate a review, an honest review. So if for some reason we're not meeting the mark, let us know. We will, we welcome all reviews. Next week, you're going to meet Jenny De Flores, who shares with us the advantages she had coming to the U.S. to study that saved her a lot of money and from being in student loan debt. So don't 
miss that story. Bueno, pues that is everything. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. Be sure to check out the show notes over at jenhempel.com forward slash 339. That is jenhempel.com forward slash 339 to refer to the little tidbits and everything that we talked about today. Remember that being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.